This is a Federal News Network podcast. The National Geospatial Intelligence Agency is trying to free up its data. Despite an explosion in the availability of overhead imagery and other geospatial information, much of NGA's data remains locked in organizational silos like a bunch of corn. NGA's new data strategy calls for scaling data access and analytics across the agency. For more, Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday at the GeoInt Symposium in St. Louis spoke with NGA's chief data officer, Deepak Kundal. With the explosion of the data coming to us, it's going to be absolutely imperative that we are conditioned on the back end of the system to be able to ingest that, I mean, so the volume and the velocity of this I mean, data coming into I mean, to NGA, and, and at the same time securely ingest the data, and more importantly, go through the data integrity checks, as per se, to ensure that the data can actually be trusted as we actually process that data I mean, through our uh, specific systems and get into the hands of our customers. We are really looking from an NGA perspective, I mean, to manage the data as a strategic asset. NGA data is an IC asset, I mean, so we need to begin to I mean, treat the, uh, the data as a, as a strategic asset, which will be enabled through uh, delivering the data as a shared services, which shall actually lead us into next-gen as geoint uh, as enablement, which will be empowered by um, bolstering of as data as literacy throughout the agency. So those are some of the basic uh, foundational items which actually contributed towards actually creating the uh, strategy. You know, do you have any activities that have already started? What what are some of the key ways you're going to actually implement this vision? One of the biggest differentiators uh, of of NGA's data strategy is that it talks about the vision, it talks about the focus areas, it talks about uh, uh, some of those uh, imperatives as to what needs to be done. But more importantly, from a CDO's perspective, what we bring to the table is the operational level or the tactical level projects and the programs that, that needs to be created. We have actually gone down to the operational level detail as to like what needs to be implemented I mean, to really support the overall data strategy. So you asked the question, I mean, some of the projects ha- have already begun. Yes, they have. We have actually successfully deployed our, our data governance I mean, framework for the entire agency. Data Governance Council actually brings together all the data stewards from the throughout the agency I mean, to talk about their hard data problems in this forum. I talk about the uh, governance council. We do not want to be in the business of like pushing papers. I mean, like uh, When we are actually making the calls, on data in terms of lineage as to like what what needs to be done, how we're gonna curate it, how we're gonna how we're gonna present the data out to our customers. So we needed to have a technology backend to actually automate most of those calls. We have successfully deployed our backend I mean, technology to actually help our data governance and which will be a basis of our data cataloging I and mean, services. Our data stewards I mean uh, shall be able to come with our as business owners of the data and the custodians of the data and being able to catalog the data for the entire our agency having to actually start I mean, sharing that across. So, so those are the few things that are actually already in place. As our next step for the fiscal year uh, coming up, we are looking at doing a proof of concept on a data lake house I mean, concept, which will actually b- begin to bring down the curtains on the data silos that exist I mean, throughout the agency. So one way to do that is, is to provision a data lake house I mean, for throughout the agency. And then we want to slowly but surely import the data from these I mean, data silos, really help our like artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms that must go against that data. And so how does this data strategy kind of get you to that place where you using AI and ML successfully and in a way that your analysts can be really confident in? Artificial intelligence, machine learning, 
is the new key buzzword, but towards the end of the day, it is based on two very two most important factors, which is the quality of the data and the data quantity. So both of the quality has to be there and the quantity of the data to really make the artificial intelligence algorithm to go against those MSU data set. So to get to the data quality and to the data quantity as, as part of the as a data strategy are going forward, I mean, like the pathway is that we will continue to break down those, those data silos that exist uh, so within uh, NGA and then really I mean, adopt the future as a data architecture, which is going to be um, based on a data lake house, where we're going to be hosting most of our um, sort of raw and the curated MS data set for our, our artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms I'm going to go against. Okay, and so we're at here at the GeoInt conference, and obviously there are a whole bunch of companies here pitching you on their products that can do anything and everything that you need it to do. How do you actually need industry to help you out, and how can they help you guys achieve these data goals? One of the uh, biggest I mean, challenges uh, that I would I will be the first one to admit, uh, yes, I mean, so we got uh, so these uh, wonderful I mean, companies out, us out here, but but where they generally lack in terms of the maturity is the is dealing with the spatial nature of our data. Our data by nature is is very fatty. It is big data. I mean to uh, to begin with, most of these organizations, I mean some of them are working with us very proactively. I mean to actually be in the industry of actually being able to spatially aware, making their applications. I must be spatially aware. So that's always a challenge. So some of the companies who I've spoken to them are already ha- have some presence at NGA, and I'm really also looking forward. I mean to these I must newer uh, companies. I must specifically in the open source area. I mean to really come up to speed. I to what NGA has to offer from the spatially awareness of the tool sets and the technologies. Really quickly, what, what do you mean by spatially aware? When I say spatially aware, I mean, so we are talking about data that, that is actually as a dealing with in vectors. We are dealing in polygons to really take a look at the image from a three-dimensional perspective. And really, I'm also looking at the data from not only imagery, but the signal data that comes into us. There's a, a the full motion video element to it. So we are dealing with a, a lot of different variations of the data I mean, throughout this agency, I mean, which most of these companies, uh, some do it, portions of it well, but not one company does it all. So it's going to be a combination of a lot of I mean, vendors out here coming together I mean, to give us a solution. And on that point, I think we've heard a lot at this conference about how anyone and everyone nowadays can go to open source, can go to commercial companies and get all sorts of geospatial data. Where NGA can really bring value is in analyzing, breaking that down, pulling it together. So how do you think that happens on the backbone of this data strategy? How, how are some of these key tenets and an initiative is going to really drive that forward and ensure NGA remains are really relevant in the future. Well, NGA will remain as relevant uh, in the future because the type of a data set that we actually process on, on behalf of the National Zone Security is very unique to our business. I mean, nobody else actually does this, I mean, for a living. And the insights that we have into um, specifically on the classification of the data, so that is actually as a being as a managed and processed by NGA, that's going to continue I mean, to stay within the premises. I mean, so now it's going to be up to a combination of the industry, academia, and the government, and the federal government, I mean, really coming together and really enhancing those I mean, products and services that we are offering to our as a warfighter and to our I mean, so analysts. That's where uh, most of the collaboration needs to I mean, continue to as a mature and take place.
Deepak Kundal, Chief Data Officer at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Check out Justin's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but... Uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. 
Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WAPA serves civilian federal employees, but 
your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.